going on, everybody? Welcome to another Take Action with me. Um, I guess I would say your host, your pastor, your leader on this watch. Uh, my name is Pastor Henderson, and I love spending these moments with you. We've really shifted how we do Bible study, and it is not uh, something that I would have ever imagined in my wildest dreams. I am a Baptist boy. I, I grew up that way, thinking that we had to be in church Every Tuesday or Wednesday in the sanctuary doing Bible study, and then the pandemic hit, and I realized that I was limiting myself to the 700 people who were in the room at the expense of the thousands of you who get an opportunity to see this on demand whenever you need it. So make sure that you share this. Make sure that you give this to as many people as possible. We are in a journey on how to improve our mindsets so that we, and I mean you and I, can be more happy. And, and let me say it this way, not just have happiness, but to have actual joy. Like, have you ever heard that statement, this, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me, they can't take it away. It's, uh, it's uh, a colloquialism. It's something we use. But it's true that there is a difference between happiness and joy. And today, when I tell you what today's subject matter is, like, when the Lord gave me this one, it blew my mind. And this one is the one that you're going to need to put on repeat for the next four weeks. You're going to need to watch this for the next four weeks in conjunction with the ones that are coming. This one, you're going to need to listen to. Um, and it's going to sound like I'm repeating myself. Um, I looked up something about the power of repetition. And this is what it says. It says, a message heard repeatedly is more likely to stay in your mind. The more senses a concept touches and times it is heard, the more likely you will hear this message, listen, even when it's not being delivered. <laughs> like that blew my mind. But I'm going to share this message with you and I'm repeating something, it's kind of like taking one of those personality tests where they ask you the same question different ways. Then I'm going to repeat myself in a different way as we did last week. So that way you can hear this message even when it's not being delivered. You ready for my subject? Come on, type in the comment section. Let me see uh, your fist. Let me see your, your, your muscles. Let me see your 100s. Let me see um, your hands. Because our team is looking right now, and we want to we wanna holler back at you as you talk to us. Are you ready for this title? You ready? Here it is. Today I want to talk about the breakthrough brain. That's what I want to talk about, the breakthrough brain. I'm getting ready to hopefully shape your brain so that you can get a breakthrough even on your worst day. That you can have a breakthrough when tears are streaming down your face. That you can have a breakthrough when you're angry, rejected, insecure, broke and broken, frustrated, lethargic, lazy, some sort of symptomatic curse that has uh, been passed down to you from maybe your parents or um your circumstances and situations. I want to give you, I want to give you game today. I'm going to give you the playbook, the break 
through bring. Now, I want you to get this scripture in your memory. Go to Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. This is Paul's letter to the church at Rome. I want you to get it. You've heard it before, but let's read it together. Do not be conformed to this world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I'm going to read it in the Message Bible. So here's what I want you to do with God's help. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking life, and place it before God as an offering, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. (laughs) My goodness. Listen to this. He says the best thing you can do for him is to give him your life. Don't become so well adjusted to your own culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Isn't that amazing? Don't be conformed to your everyday life. Be ye transformed or um, be ye shifted, be altered. And it doesn't start with my hands. It doesn't start with my money. It doesn't start with my car. starts with the renewing. Of my mind. And when my mind is renewed by that testing, by that frustration, by that anxiety, by that argument, I will discern, you will discern what the will of God is for your life. Isn't that why you are here today? To find out what the will of God is for your life? Aren't you? Ignoring the children for the next 40 minutes, 30 minutes now, so that maybe some of y'all have AirPods in or you have headphones on. You, you shut everything out because this is your moment to renew your mind so that you will know what is good and acceptable and perfect for your life. You know what I've learned? For all of you all who have memberships at your country club, you have to renew those annually. How many of you all have apps on your phone? It will automatically renew itself and charge your credit card. Any Hulu users? There's a renewal fee. Um, I could go on and on. You have to renew your insurance. You have to renew your car insurance, your life insurance, your health insurance. Some of you all are entrepreneurs. You have to renew your contracts. You have to renew your license plate and your registration. You know, I found out in life, please take this on the chin, but know where it's coming from. I find that most of us renew everything in our life except for our mind. We, we renew our rental contract in our apartment, and we stay there year after year after year with our landlord. We renew that. 
No, I'm I, I'm looking at everybody right now. So I'm I'm an '80s baby, and I grew up with Michael Jordan playing basketball. I I remember the ones when they came out in '85. I, I've I've had just about every Jordan you could have, and now I'm looking at people who are young enough to be my children, thinking that they are wearing a new shoe that's 30 years old. Michael Jordan right now is making billions of dollars off of renewing what he already released. You'd be surprised how much valuable, how much more valuable you would be if you renewed your mind. If you took the same mind, brushed it off, took some of the kinks out, got some of the frustration out, got some of the grudge out, and just renew that mind and wear it again and see what God would do with you. David said, create in me a new mind. Because that's what heart means in the scripture. Create in me a new heart and renew in me a right spirit. I don't want to, listen, I don't want a brain transplant. I want a brain transfusion. Just put some new stuff in it so that I could finally be free from all of the negativity and the things that are assigned to you to make sure that you don't have the abundant life. And I'm going to show you how to have the breakthrough brain today. But you're going to have to renew your mind. You're going to have to renew your thoughts. You're going to have to renew what excites you. You're going to have to renew the people you like to be around. You're going to have to renew the conversations that you have. Listen, and yes, you can absolutely renew your feelings. Now, I'm going to give you some neurological terminology because we are in class today, and I want to make sure that you think on these things. Your brain is a bundle of synopsis. Let me tell you what I mean by that. A synopsis is a brief uh, summary or survey of something. So uh, just to be honest, most people, really we read summaries of the Bible. Like we have our favorite scriptures, but we don't read the whole chapter. It's like we'll look at Romans 2 and say, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, but we won't read that it says down in verse 4, in this way we are like the various parts of the human body. Uh, each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. See, there's so much more context that goes into that. And so our brain really is a bundle of synopsis. But the problem is, is that even though our brain is a bundle of synopsis, we trust our brain as if it knows the whole story. <laughs> but you got to understand that the brain is, an, uh, is a concrete thing. But it's not the brain you should be trusting. It's the mind, which is an abstract thing. And the mind, ladies and gentlemen, the mind is where the information rests. The mind is where the thoughts, the feelings, the, the conclusions, the study, the subconscious, it's where all of these things are housed. And just because you know a thing doesn't mean you know a thing. 
Does that make sense? I know, I know I'm throwing some things at you right now. Your experience, your opinion, and your perspective of what you are going through is actually not the whole story. It is a synopsis. It's a survey of what you perceive that is happening based on you trying to subjugate yourself to the first law of nature, and that is self-preservation. So what you're doing is you're looking at what's happening and trying to figure out how not to get hurt. Man, that's good. That's good. You're looking at what they said, and you're trying to figure out how not to get hurt, which lets you off the hook for any involvement in the catastrophe. So we leave most situations. If they didn't say that to me, I wouldn't have said this. If that didn't happen to me, I wouldn't be this way. Had my father been there, had my mother been there, had I not been fired, had I not lost my job, had I not got sick, had not, had not, had not. And so you have this bundle of synopses that you have congregated in your mind that has given you a report that's missing details. Because the other side of that is, as God says, I want you to have life. And I want you to have life more abundantly. That means, listen, that the current struggle that you're going through is God's way of contributing to your abundance. Even though you can't see it right now, um, it's God's way of contributing to your healing, to your wholeness. And I'm going to show you before I'm done talking to you today that suffering is actually a tool of God. Mm. There is a, a rule called Hebb's rule, H-E-B-B-S, Hebb's rule. Hebb's rule describes how a cell uh, persistently activates another nearby cell and the connection between the two cells becomes stronger. It's like a marriage. Like, like, like have you ever, um, let me see if I can give you an example. All right, here's a good one. Have you ever been in a room with somebody and they said something funny um, and somebody starts to laugh? Have you ever been around somebody whose laugh is so contagious that you can not not laugh when they start laughing. It's like they laugh. You don't even have to know what's funny. Or like um, watching a comedian, right? Watching a comedian. I love comedians like Lavelle Crawford who laugh at themselves. Like when he starts to laugh, I may not even get the joke yet, but I'm already laughing because I'm looking at him laugh. See what? That's Heb's rule. It's it's me connecting with something and and the stronger vibration brings me into the existing vibration. Are you getting this? So this is why you have to be careful about who your friends are because Heb Rule says that when you connect with that negative cell, that negative energy, that negative circle, the most powerful of the two will influence the weaker of the two. And so when you hang around people who are always depressed and gossiping and despondent and depressed and angry and frustrated and always see the negative and everything, then before you know it, you attribute 
uh, or, or I shouldn't say attribute you, you actually gain behavior that is not authentically yours. And here you are now a complainer, and you were not born a complainer. You were not raised to be a complainer. You, 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 you were not even a complainer before this season in your life. But because you hooked up with a, a stronger uh, a vibration, and now here you are complaining when the Word of God says the joy of the Lord is what? Your strength. Uh, let me give you another example. Um, I love London. I love London. I love London. The shopping in London is amazing. The scenery is amazing. Uh, I love the flight over to London. You get to go to sleep, and uh, uh, they give you all kind of food, and you, you just wake up, and you're there. I, I love, love London. And then you can get to London and catch a train called the Eurostar and go over to Paris. I, I just love that, that part of the world. Um, and so I study it, and, and I found out something. Um, and if you've ever seen this on television, um, in London – they, um, they have a different kind of cab than we do. Like here we got the yellow cab in New York, but over there they have uh, a certain type of vehicle, and, and all of the cab drivers drive them. They did a study on the cab drivers. Now, in America, you think it's hard to drive in America? Try driving in London. Anybody in London want to shout and let everybody know online, all of my London viewers, the streets are so complicated in London that you actually have to know what you're doing. And they did a study on London cab drivers uh, because they have to memorize, memorize uh, complex street routes. And here's what they found. They develop uh, a larger-than-average hippocampus, which is a part of the brain uh, that, that, that uh, literally uh, houses memory where we go to get uh, recall information. So the hippocampus in London cab drivers is larger than the average human being because they have to memorize complex street routes. Are you with me so far? Now, uh, there, there isn't um, enough talk about this, and I'm going to put this on the table so we can discuss it. And I'm not giving any excuses, but here it is. The hippocampus in a cab driver is larger because they have to spend most of their days recalling, do I turn left, right? Is that a dead end? Um, if I'm around the Royal Palace, I've got to go on the roundabout because there's no way to get through there. They have to remember all of this complexity. And it shows us, listen, that our brains are actually formed by our routes your brain is bigger in some areas and small in some areas because of the route you had to take to get to today. So then, I want to say, and there isn't enough talk about this, that our brains are actually shaped by what happened to us. You think, okay, let's just keep it real. Have you ever said to yourself, if you're really honest, something's wrong with me. Why do I go off like that? Why do I have a temper and I'm trying, trying not to? 
Why does that frustrate me? Why is it hard for me to forgive? Why do I always find myself complaining? Why is it that if somebody does something to me, no matter how hard I try, I can't forgive them? Why is it that I hold grudges? You know why? Because somewhere in your life, through the route you had to take, you are overdeveloped or either underdeveloped in certain parts of your brain because of the route you had to take to get here. Let's take, let's take it off of you because most people can never see great examples when they are the specimen or subject matter. Nobody wants to talk about dissection when they're on the table. It's cool to dissect a frog, but nobody wants to talk about being cut when it's them. So let me let you off the hook. Let me take you off the table. Let's put Moses on the table. Moses, the boy who was adopted at three months, thrown into the Nile River by his mom, brought into Pharaoh's house where they spoke a different language, had a different culture. He goes from being poor to being rich in the matter of a moment, being raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He's raised in the house of Pharaoh. One day looks out of the window and sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. He goes out, kills the man, buries him in the desert, ruins his opportunity to stay in Pharaoh's house. Now God has called him to be the emancipator of Israel. He is now gone from a mansion to now sleeping in the sand. Do you hear me? Now he's literally homeless for 40 years wandering in the desert. Not only is he wandering in the desert, he's got two million people who are complaining about everything. When are we going to get some water? Where the bread at? We tired of bread and water. We don't like Accenture. Can you get us Fiji? And one day, the adopted murderer, frustrated leader, strikes a rock, and everybody spends the next thousands of years criticizing Moses because he struck the rock when God said, speak to it. But have you ever taken into consideration of the parts of his brain that were overly developed because of a life of rejection, frustration, and complaints? I have a little more compassion for Moses' decision when I think about it from the perspective that sometimes we are affected by the route we had to take to get here. And I want to pray for you before we leave today because people have been frustrated with you and they're angry with you and wondering, why can't she get it and why can't he get it? And I just want to yell for you because they had to take a different route to get here. 
You were not adopted the way they were adopted. You, you, you were not abandoned the way they were abandoned. You were not divorced. You didn't go through the kind of divorce that they went through. You, you, you didn't have the kind of baby mama drama they had or, or, or the deadbeat dad. You, you didn't have any of that. Your mother didn't die on you when you were young. Your father didn't abandon you and take care. So you didn't have to go their route. So sometimes you don't understand people because before you can get to the breakthrough brain, you have to first acknowledge the breakdown brain that I am this way because somebody dropped me. My legs were not always crippled, Mephibosheth. This happened to me because the nurse, the person that was supposed to take care of me, the person who was supposed to carry me, the person who was supposed to love me, they dropped me. And when they dropped me, something stopped working in me today. But I am telling you today, there is a way to reverse those broken legs because you can still dance with broken bones. And I am going to give you the ability to build a breakthrough brain. You can do this. Everybody type, I can do this. I can do this. I can overcome this. I can survive this. I no, 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 I will. I will survive this. I got to watch my voice because I almost start preaching. I will survive this. How am I going to survive it? First thing you're going to do is you're going to learn the art of self-reflection. Everybody just write it down, type it in the comment section, self-reflection. Most people give us the benefit of the doubt. We're victims of our circumstances. Even I'm talking to people, you had a mama, but she wasn't there. She was addicted to drugs. She was chasing a man. You, You had a father. He wasn't sympathetic, empathetic. He had no emotions. He was always working. Never hugged you. Never told you you were beautiful. You had siblings, but they were so much older or younger than you that there was really no real close bond. So so something happened. But refusing to self-reflect prevents growth. Can I be honest with you? And can you be honest with me? We'd rather project than reflect. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Because when you project, as some of y'all may not uh, remember this, but, um, or, or maybe you have this in your theater room at home. Maybe you don't have a big TV. Some theaters Rooms have projectors. It's when the light is aimed at the screen. So when you project, you aim at what the cause is for your dysfunction. But see, self-reflection means uh, that you have to get in the mirror, and the mirror sends the image back. And if you're ever going to get a breakthrough brain, you got to stop projecting and start reflecting. I'm going to give you a scripture. John 8.32 says, You shall know the truth. And the truth shall what? Make you 
free. Not the revenge will make you free. Not the story. Not the emotion. Not the feeling. Not the perception. But the truth. The truth. And the truth is, yes, David's father rejected him. And yes, Samuel overlooked him. That's projection. Reflection. I'm still a king. I still got there. I still defeated Goliath. I still beat my lion and my bear. I still went down in history as one of the greatest kings to ever live in spite of all my life. What happened? I'm going to show you the difference between David and Saul. Saul projected. I'm going to kill David. He never had any reflection that because of his arrogance, he lost the oil. All he wanted to do was project. Let me kill David. Maybe that will save my position. And let me tell you something. I wish I could have told Saul, but since he's not here, I can tell you. Projection will cost you the crown. If you keep finding people to blame, you will never be king. If you keep finding people who are responsible for why you are not there yet, you will never be queen. You have to take every circumstance and find out and say what David said. It was good. I didn't want it to happen. But it was good that I was afflicted. That I might learn what God was trying to teach me. I didn't want to get divorced, but it was good. I didn't want to lose custody of my daughter, but it was good. I didn't want to fall out with my son, but it was good. I didn't want me and my my, my father, or me and my mother, or me and my uncle, or me and my aunt to rip. I, I wanted to, but it was good. I didn't want to lose the house, but it was good. I didn't want to have the repossession, but it was good. I didn't want to have the nervous breakdown, but it was good. I didn't want to have to go sit on the therapist's couch, but it was good. I didn't want to have to lose my job and move to another city, but it was good. That I might learn what God was trying to show me. Self-reflection. Put an end to the projection. Begin with the self-reflection. Number two, suffering is a product of God. Okay? I'm going to prove it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6. There was a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. It was given to me, or allowed to come to me by God, lest I, what? Be exalted above measure. Suffering is God's way of doing two things. Number one, suffering keeps you humble. But number two, write it down, suffering keeps you alive. It is the pain that you feel touching the stove that makes you stay away from it. Oh, yes, suffering keeps you alive. You may not believe this. 
but the human brain is designed to avoid suffering. So when you store negative thoughts, you do so to the chagrin of human nature. You were created to avoid danger. I'm getting ready to say something, and you better hear me loud and clear. If you're going to ever have a breakthrough brain, you need to avoid negativity the same way you do a snake. Have you ever seen somebody saw a snake? They see that thing over there. They start announcing it. It's a snake over there. They don't touch it. They don't want to get close to it. They don't want to get by it. They don't want to do anything. You, you, it's a snake. You call somebody to come and get it. You know what? That's the same thing you need to do when negative energy gets around you. You need to bag up from it like it's a snake with venom. You have to learn to avoid it. Suffering is God's way of keeping you alive. Even Jesus suffered on the cross, which leads me to the third and last thing. You must learn the art of empathy. Oh, God. Talking to people who want the breakthrough brain. Most people have sympathy. Not many people have empathy. Sympathy is when you understand it from your perspective. It's like somebody's mother passes away. You have sympathy because if you've been through that, you'll say, I know what that pain feels like. Empathy means putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and understanding why they feel the way they feel. Luke chapter 23, verse 34, here's what the Bible says. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another person. And as I wrap up today, oh, I'm asking God, God, touch these many thousands of people who will see this message. Switch them from a sympathy mindset only to one of empathy. And I'm telling you, if you'll have empathy, if you'll understand suffering and have self-reflection, you can have a breakthrough brain. Before we leave today, I'm praying that God would give you the desires of your heart. And with that is a brain that will help you to function at the next level. I pray that as you get ready to give, and they put the instructions up on the screen, that you sow into your mental health, that you sow into having a brain and a mind that is free from the clutter that the enemy has put on your life. God, in the name of Jesus, bless these givers. Give seed to the sower. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's to a breakthrough brain. We'll see you next week.